there's a huge uh, number of physicians that are leaving medicine. And it's because of this intolerable uh, burnout that comes from, first of all, no support and this continuous pressure to uh, adhere to some kind of a standard without really understanding that medicine is as much of an art as it is a science. You're listening to Parallax from Radcliffe Cardiology in association with makeadent.org. Here is your host, Ankur Kalra, MD. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Parallax. This is episode 74, and um, I am, you know, yet again honored and privileged to have with me um, Dr. Kavita Chunayan. You know, she was on the show. We sort of did a mini series in season one which was very, very well received, extremely well received. And, um, you know, time has flown by and we're into season four. This is episode 74. And I've had, the, I have actually have the privilege of having her back again uh, to sort of talk about some of the themes we, uh, we discussed uh, in the initial mini series on burnout and mindfulness that I did with, with Kavita. And, you know, she's such an expert in this, in the sphere of spirituality and, and, and medicine that, uh, you know, quite frankly, is peerless in my opinion. Uh, but, you know, Kavita is uh, an advanced imaging cardiologist. Uh, she's with uh, Beaumont in Michigan, and she's uh, an extremely um, accomplished and published author. She's written, uh, and you can correct me, Kavita, if, if I'm wrong, but at least three, if not four, I think her fourth one is coming out, or maybe her fifth one is coming out. I, I lose track of how much she writes. Um, she's uh, she she's just uh, prolific in in that regard, and she's also uh, you know a, a very accomplished, in my opinion, a, a very accomplished uh, spiritual uh, seeker, uh, and is someone who I look up to as a mentor. And I've had the privilege of actually authoring um, several papers with her uh, on uh, spirituality and medicine, so exploring that intersection. Uh, so with that introduction, Kavitas, welcome on the show and thank you so much uh, again for doing this for us. Thank you so much for having me on the show again, Ankur. It's an absolute privilege and honor to be here. Um, no, it's uh, the privilege and the honor is is mine. So the, the feelings are mutual and shared. Um, so I'm going to start um, this show by asking you, Kavita, as to, uh, you know, first of all, what really prompted you to explore um, I mean, you are um, a, a clinical cardiologist. You have uh, an expertise in cardiac imaging, particularly cardiac computer tomography. So, you know, very scientific and data-driven and evidence-based as you as you and I were just discussing. And then you're also this very accomplished spiritual seeker and you've written books on spirituality and you, you practice spirituality and um that is an equally important if not more an important facet of you um and m so my my curious question is how have you first of all how have you found that path for yourself and uh, the second question which is a follow up question to the first one is how do you balance um modern medicine with that spiritual path that you are seeking for yourself um that's such a good question you know it's um for me, it's not contradictory. It's it's all one and the same. And with regard to, you know, how it came to be this way, 
Um, I can say that my journey in, I, I wouldn't even call it spiritual as such, but more in exploration of my inner landscape began in childhood and it's continued through the years and intensified. And I've had the incredible honor of studying with many teachers in um, various Eastern traditions. And along the way, as that was going on in parallel, I went to medical school and then trained in cardiology and imaging and everything else and, and began practice. So it has happened kind of together and in parallel. And uh, a lot of times we tend to think that there is this life, you know, this mundane life of work and family and kids and all of this material world. And then there is this separate spiritual world where supposedly we do something there and we do something here and the two spheres are separate. And it is like that a lot of times for a long time, I would say, and it was for me. And fortunately, because of these incredible beings I have studied with and continue to study with, those fears, there is no longer a separation. For me, all of life is spiritual. And by that, you know, we really must, must uh, dissect that word because a lot of people are turned off by this idea of spirituality. It's like some woo-woo thing somewhere. And that's not it, actually. And here, in, in quotes, spirituality is simply the understanding that there's something far beyond this visible world and this visible body and the, and, and the mind and that there is a greater intelligence. And, and when we say greater intelligence, it's not necessarily a secular religious thing either. It's a very fundamental thing. For instance, in medical school, I used to think I was really fascinated with embryology and um, the question that used to haunt me at the time was, how does that one cell know to differentiate into so many different organs and organ systems? Like, what is that knowledge? What is it that drives it? And then, you know, we would have conversations amongst friends groups and say, well, it is the genetic material, it's the chromosomes, it's the genes. It's But yes, but how do the genes know what to do? I mean, how do the uh, you know, how do the base pairs come together? How does that even happen? How does the, the helix um, create its own structure? I mean, how are, the, how are the proteins formed? So there is a fundamental basic intelligence that runs everything, right? And what is that? And that is the curiosity, I think, that really drives a lot of even these Eastern spiritual traditions. It's more an understanding of... Um, not not necessarily what is out there, but what is in here. And both of those start to come together as we progress on this journey, so to speak. And so that it, that's how it has been for me. And I don't see cardiology practice any different than anything else I'm doing. It's all one and the same. So this informs that, that informs this. It's everything is my practice. So I... I 
if, if somebody asks me, you know, what is your spiritual practice? Well, my life is my practice. There's no difference there. You know, how I raise my kids, how I interact in relationships and with patients and colleagues and whatever it may be, that's, that's all part of my practice. Does it make sense? It's a long-winded answer to a very short question. Yeah, no, it, it makes uh, complete sense um, and um, beautiful answer. And, and thank you for providing such a such a detailed answer. And y- you said that your life is your spiritual practice. And so I'm trying to get into some of the nuts and bolts for someone who's listening and who's wondering, well, how is her life um, a practice in and of itself? And I'm sure it's taken you, you know, I'm, I'm sure that's not a, like that sentence in, in and of itself is not a casual sentence. It's It's got a very deeper meaning uh, to it. I certainly understand it because I know what you're trying to get, get to is like every action is, um, uh, you know, is deeply rooted in the practice of mindfulness and, and every uh, thought or, or every karma, you know, as we, as we call it, um is um you know a spiritual practice of um decoding oneself and decoding one's uh true chitta which is you know your true nature i mean chitta refer i mean i'm i'm preaching to the choir but this is for the for the wider listenership when i say chitta i mean nature uh, but you know for someone who is naive to this concept of of mindfulness and spirituality, what does that sentence mean when you said that your life is your spiritual practice? See, it's a very fundamental question, which is when we say we're seeking something, right? What is it that all of us are seeking? I mean, why why would you want academic success? Why would you want money? Why would you want notoriety? Why would you want to, you know, heal or make people feel better or whatever it is that we do, not only in this profession, well, here we, you know, do procedures and read studies and see patients and prescribe and do procedure or surgeries or whatever it is. But you may as well be, um, you know, uh, mowing the lawn or doing something else or taking care of your pantry and throwing things out. Why do we do anything that we do? And the fundamental question here is that, which is what, what are we doing? What, what is it that we are seeking? And these traditions tell us, all traditions pretty much, tell us that what we are seeking is really lasting happiness. So it's, it's not really a big surprise. It's not really any big, you know, uh, words we need to use. All of us are seeking happiness. And, and how do we define happiness? Well, it is a state of feeling content, like nothing more is needed. Because at all times, we are always driven by, you know, I need something more. There is a fundamental sense of lack that drives all of us, whether it's ambition for academic success or for more money or for more fame or whatever, whoever you can think of. In every field, everybody is seeking that contentment. And This tradition tells us actually that there is no difference between somebody who's a saint or a sinner. Everybody is seeking happiness in their own way. And when we say, when I say my life is my practice, it is this, it is merely first and foremost cultivating awareness of my own patterns. How am I 
reacting, responding to this? Do I have freedom really from my own patterns? So here is this stimulus that is in front of me by way of somebody saying something, or it could be a sensory stimulus, it could be a political um, or a very mundane or my child saying something or an argument or not, or a very um, benign or pleasant thing. Whatever it is, there is a stimulus. And do I have the freedom to respond to it every single time in absolute spontaneity, where I'm not conditioned by what I know about the situation? Can I respond to life at, in every moment as if this is a brand new thing that I'm going to embrace it absolutely in its fullness without rejecting any parts of it, whether it is my own pain or whether it is pleasure or any of these dualities. So that is the tradition that I come from where life becomes a spiritual practice because you are seeking that stimulus to cultivate ever deepening awareness of your own, you know, uh, billions of responses that are going on at any given time. Most of us are very, you know, um, a lot of these billions of responses are cut off because we kind of get into a groove. We know this is how it is. You have interacted with this person before. In the past, they did this. So next time you meet them, whatever happened in the past is going to condition how you're going to look at them how you're going to interact with them. But this tradition says, can that be erased where you meet every person, every moment, every instance of life as if it, you are not primed by it? And that can only happen when you have worked through all of your own patterns and all of your own hangups and all of your own issues. So here, when I say life is practice, it is really living life while being completely inward turned where you know i'm completely aware of what is going on in my inner landscape the chitta as you said so that's what i mean by my life is my practice so in every moment can i be absolutely authentic and true to this right here with no projection into the future that doesn't exist and no condition by the past that also doesn't exist. So neither past nor future exists. All we have is now. And can I be absolutely aligned with this flow of life? And that's what life as practice would mean for me. Yeah, no, you're, you share some of the concepts that Joe Dispenza shares. I don't know if you know him, but you know, he's, he talks about um, people with, uh, you know, pasts and experiences which uh you know are not pleasant and he and he works um with with several of um you know of of the people who've had uh you know tough experiences in their lives and uh that's something you know something which you eloquently said and um you know put through for the listenership was was that um you do not get conditioned by the past and, and you sort of are not projecting into the future. Um, 
and you are seeking control of how you respond to the stimulus. And so one of the, um, I would say challenges maybe is, is the right word. Yeah, I think it's, it, it is a challenge and I'm sure to people who are listening who are either naive or, or have practiced uh, mindfulness and spirituality in their own lives. Uh, the challenge here is that how do you um, let go of the conditioned past? Because um, I think they're sort of tied together, right? Like the conditioning of the past sort of makes you project into the future with the circumstances that you have in front of you now. Um, and so it's sort of like a vicious cycle. So how do you break that cycle? And how do you not let past experiences, you know, however pleasant or adverse they may be, not influence the present moment so that you do not project to the future because you have not seen the future. Um, so you may still perform certain actions which are conditioned by the past that you've experienced with this particular situation, uh, you know, whether it's a pleasant situation or whether it's adversarial. And that may actually then have implications on the future. So how do you break that cycle? So it's, and this is the crux of the matter, right? How do you do that? Because it's insanely difficult. And how do you differentiate between growth? Because that's how you grow, right? You grow from your experience and you learn from experience. I mean, if I learn, I touch a hot stuff, a stove and, and burning, uh, you know, uh, burning flames. I'm going to be burned by that. And so I learned not to touch that in the future. And that is a growth and it's learning. And this is how we acquire information about the world around us. And there is what I would say is you know, in, in this tradition, the most important thing is to cultivate awareness. But along with that awareness comes this increasing ability to discern between things that look the same. So, you know, in, in, the, in the imager's language, it is um, spatial and temporal resolution. You know, that is how I would describe Viveka or the ability to discern between increasingly finer things. For instance, how do you how do you differentiate between growth and conditioning that holds you captive? They both look alike on the surface, right? But the whole practice here is to ha have grown from your experience. You take every experience, and this is the whole life is practice business, where every experience becomes a joyful portal to growth, but you end up at the other end of it really innocent and unprimed by it. Un and unprimed as in, you are willing to go through it again without being jaded by it. So, if I have had a bad experience with someone, usually what happens is our senses are turned outward. And since, you know, we, uh, you and I have had many conversations about the Bhagavad Gita. If you look at the, uh, 
one of my favorite segments of the Bhagavad Gita is the last bit of the second chapter. So verses like 54 to 72. In that, Arjuna asks uh, Krishna, who is this person who is a sthita pragna, who is absolutely established in this higher reality? Who is this person who's always still within? And Krishna goes on to describe who this person is. And in that entire segment, the teaching point there is to understand how the senses affect us. So our senses are always turned outward, which means if I have a bad interaction or an unpleasant interaction with someone, our ordinary way of being is to project this hurt and the pain onto the other, onto the circumstance and say, you know, I, we may take some responsibility for it and say, well, you know, I, I had my part to play in it, but we never see it holistically. We, you know, we always kind of project a little bit and say that person should not have done that. This person should not have done that. That circumstance should have been different. It should, I mean, if you look at any conflict anywhere on any level, it comes from this because we project our senses outward. And, but the sthita pragna, the one who is established in, in you know, their own uh, sense, and they have this incredible um, spatial and temporal resolution, I would say, has the ability to take any circumstance and completely internalize it and say, you know, this is happening, whatever is happening, this is for my good. This is actually in my advantage, which is a very difficult thing to do when you are absolutely contracted in pain and fear or whatever these things are. It's very difficult to have that kind of expansive awareness to say, wow, you know, bring it on. Let me, let me understand where my own contractions are. That is the difference because that is what we are talking about here. When you internalize every circumstance and say, everything is actually happening for my benefit, even when outwardly it doesn't look like that, then you have risen above that. You have risen above these contractions and you know, cultivated this exquisite awareness of your own internal process without projecting outwardly at all. And the whole point of how do you do that, right, is to understand how the world works, how everything in the universe works, whether we are talking about a subatomic structure or, you know, big things out in space that we, we have only seen in planetariums and they're not even visible to the naked eye. Everything has the same rhythm or the same method. And understanding that frees us of that. Because when you look at any circumstance, we're all, we're all um, victims of our own conditioning. I behave the way, way I do because of my experiences. You behave the way you do because of yours. So who's to blame here? Nobody is to blame. So you transcend the blame game entirely. And you'll never see the world again in that projected, uh, you know, blame and shame. And, and shame, you know, 
blame turned inward is shame, basically. And you lose the ability to even be uh, contracted in shame when you see that you could not have done anything different. And so when you say how, right, uh, there are many ways to the how. One is through prayer and devotion and, and giving up and surrendering to this higher power, which is the most difficult thing to do. Actually, it's easier to talk about surrender than to actually surrender. The other is through logic and to see that actually nothing is personal. Everything is impersonal. Nobody's out to get you. Everybody is always reacting to their own stuff. I react to my own stuff. You react to your own stuff. And we, our reactions interact and get entangled. And so when we understand this through an intellectual level, that is one way. Understanding it through selfless service, where you do whatever it takes, even when it does not serve you. And we do this really well with our families, with our children especially. Even, you know, when it is uncomfortable for me to do something for my child where the child benefits, it's easier for me to do that for my child because I'm attached to my child. But if you bring that same kind of attitude towards others, and in our field, you see this in, in so many doctors, amazing physicians, where they bring that and say, you know, I, at the cost of my own well-being, I want to do good. I, I want to help here. But then you have to rise above that where you, you understand that all you can do is your work and the outcome is never in your hands. So many different ways to the how, but the end result is a complete inward turning of the senses where, you know, the world becomes a, not a threatening kind of a place, but it's your playground for more growth and more stimulus. And whatever is happening, it is, you take that to be a good thing happening in your favor. Yeah, no, that, that's uh, such a beautiful description. Um, and again, you know, like you said, easier said than done. And, you know, particularly surrendering, uh, you know, surrendering to the universe and, and sort of talking through every um, experience, uh, you know, talking to yourself, whether it's adversarial or whether it's pleasant, that this is happening for you. And uh, as, you know, as much as I have, you know, personally read it and, and tried to imbibe that ideology and, and, and live by it, I can, I can tell you that as a practitioner, it's very, very hard. Um, it's hard because, you know, life will have its troughs and its peaks. And, you know, it's easy when it's peak time. It's hard when it's trough time. Um, and that's when uh, these practices or these thought processes or this logic, this logical thinking um, is, is put to its lit litmus test, right? Because that's when your true... Um, teachings uh, or learnings come into practice. And um, I, I really liked when, you know, the you, you said two things that, you know, one that, you know, no one is out there to get you and, and, and the world then becomes uh, a playground uh, for more stimulus and more experience. Um, give me an example, uh, you know, maybe um, 
you know, from your own personal journals or, you know, something that you've experienced vicariously, but just give me an example of how um, you've either practiced that, that mindset or that learning, or, or you've yeah. seen maybe your gurus or your mentors or others practice that learning. Well, I think, I think a very, uh, for us um, in, in the field of medicine, right, a very uh, relevant example is um, for me as an imager, it's, um, and especially in this country where, where, you know, we are always worried about litigation, about missing things and what, what that may do to us and our careers and how we may look to everybody and um and usually there's this thing of um where we beat ourselves up because in quotes i should have known better and it, it doesn't even have to be like this is why i'm what i what this is what i was saying earlier this is why life is spiritual practice because you don't have to look far but in your day-to-day -day life there are plenty of such examples and in mine too because i'm an imager um there have been you know there have been times when i have not seen something and uh fortunately somebody else has and they've pointed that out to me and said uh can you go back and take a look at the study again that you read and if i think of myself as a senior imager okay and i I'm accomplished. I have written many papers, including guideline papers, and I'm a professor of medicine and so on and so forth. It, it can be very humiliating that, oh, my gosh, I, I actually teach people this. How could I have missed this? And then you take it very personally, right? And say, you know, oh, and especially if we begin with a low self-worth um, in general <laughs> and that has never been addressed directly and you just you feel really horrible to have missed something and of course there is that the the blow to the ego but also there is this oh did i endanger somebody by having missed this and um but on the other hand when you grow in self-awareness, you are absolutely aware, first of all, of all of these things that are happening at once. You know, there is the fear of having missed something, there is a humiliation, there is this and there is that, and the projection into the future and the past, and oh, I've done this before, I suck, whatever it may be. And you know that you are advancing when, if such a thing happens again, you look at it in a very curious, non-attached and a non-judgmental way. You look at yourself as a third person and say, wow, okay, what can I learn from this? How, what is the methodology I should improve on? And you do the needful, you look at it and you understand it's not personal. Nobody was pointing that out to humiliate me. And um, this is how you grow. You grow as an immature, you grow as a physician, you grow in compassion and you understand. Because now when I, when I see my own process, 
if somebody else misses something, I can relate to that. I'm okay with that. I don't judge them because I've lost the ability to judge myself, you see? And you hold space for more and more of this in your life. And you kind of grow in your own, you know, like what you can say in a, um, in a neo uh, spirituality, in the modern spirituality uh, circles, your aura in quotes is growing or very simply, you're simply growing in awareness and you are not going back and forth. In other words, you have cultivated equanimity. And uh, what you were saying earlier, which is, you know, the peaks and the troughs and the Bhagavad Gita addresses this. And there is a verse that uh, you, I have, I just remember all the time, which is, Shitoshna Sukha Dukkeshu Tatha Manapamana Yoho. This is basically, it's a description of this person who is established in stillness, whether it is uh, hot or cold, it's praise or insult, if it is pleasure or pain, if it is happiness or sorrow, in all circumstances, they are always content. And you, you know, you become like a, um, a, a container for everything to pass through you. And so that's a very practical example. And, you know, my teacher um, just is on the extreme of his, he, I've seen him actually look for unpleasant circumstances to see how he was going to react to that. Actually seek uh, unpleasant and unpleasurable circumstances to grow in that awareness. Uh, for most of us, we just avoid that. He will actually seek that out and go right into it. So there are people like that. And <laughs> so that is another extreme example, but very practically speaking, you know, what we go through on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, no. So, well, you know, what you, what you said, but you know, the last, uh, segment of what you said is so fascinating to me because I recently read that uh, when I was reading a scripture from Sufism, which basically says that so a, a Sufi, a Sufi saint, uh, is someone who um, uh, processes painful or adversarial experiences as true gems because that's what they're constantly seeking and searching for because they know that when they get these gems as they call it that they are getting closer to um to their god or they're getting closer to um the central um energy source of the universe um that they're getting closer to being one with the universal force or the almighty. And so um, if they are devoid of any pain for a much longer duration, they start to question if they are on the right path, um, which, you know, to me was, was, was rebellious. It was revolutionary. Um, and it's something, so when you said that, 
you know, I was like, wow, you know, I just read that when I was reading something about Sufism. Um, but how, so how would you explain that to someone in medicine or, or maybe someone, um, you know, practicing, you know, the, the modern medicine that we all practice in, in the United States. And I think it's a great segue also for me to then ask you about what you mentioned previously, and that is our focus on the outcome and how that is driving, uh, you know, everyone in circles, you know, whether it's uh, seeking for, um, you know, higher rankings in U.S. News and World Report or, you know, leapfrog or what have you, whatever metrics. And I'm, and I'm not saying that these metrics are not important or that improving quality is not important or that um, it's not important to practice safer medicine. I'm, I'm absolutely unequivocally not saying that. But just the, also the uh, the contrast then, um, you know, for you and me who are seekers of the Gita and have, have uh, examined it very closely is the Gita's teaching that you have to focus and only focus on the action because that is what you're only entitled to and you're not entitled to what happens afterwards. Uh, how do you how do you put this in perspective for someone who's listening who can then take this back home and start practicing this the next day or you know from the very moment that they've listened to this episode? See, the thing is, um, the these uh, traditions or these um, techniques, they are meant for the the particular practitioner to work on themselves it is never meant to um to be taught to somebody else and it's only be meant to be taught to somebody who really wants to learn that it, it's never meant to be forced on anyone else right it's it's really it's your own personal journey you go inward with it and and as mahatma gandhi famously said be the change you wish to see. So, and I truly believe that. And uh, this is this is absolutely what has been instilled in me as well. That when you start changing, the world around you starts changing. This is absolutely one hundred percent true. I've seen this in my own life. I, I've seen this in the lives of my many students who learned this kind of stuff from me and without you know without really forcing anything on anyone just working on yourself is the fundamental thing and in fact in the gita you know uh, lord krishna says to arjuna don't teach this to anyone this is not for you to share with anyone if they want they will find it and that is absolutely true as well. Now, with regard to, you know, this whole business of metric medicine, this is a, this is one of the problems of burnout. Number one, um, you know, it is, it is a, a good intention that has gone too far. And obviously, like you, I too believe, and, and definitely I'm all for um, safety and for uh, 
accountability and having a sense of responsibility. But I think corporate medicine has taken it a little too far, causing uh, so much pressure to practitioners and to physicians. And I read recently that um, uh, there's a huge uh, number of physicians that are leaving medicine. And it's because of this intolerable uh, burnout that comes from, first of all, no support and this continuous pressure to uh, adhere to some kind of a standard without really understanding that medicine is as much of an art as it is a science. And there are many things that you can't really measure. There are the immeasurables in medicine, but those immeasurables are the ones that, that provide quality of life and provide um, you know, more space and growth and happiness and joy and love and compassion and all of that. You can't measure those things. And the measurables have really taken over the immeasurables. And that's the whole point of this metric medicine. But here too, for me, it has, it has been uh, a fertile ground for practice to see what it is that I need to change or I need to look into within myself, of course, and as I change, make the changes I can, and then with the ones I can't, I have to make decisions and say, this is what I'm willing to do, and this is what I'm not willing to do. And what does that mean? See, the thing is, the reason, and, and this is a conversation I've had with many of my colleagues, is why is it that we physicians who are incredibly intelligent, incredibly well accomplished, why is it that we are, somebody can, um, or another group of people can rule over us? Why is that? And it is because one of the reasons for this is we don't want conflict. You know, we don't want to actually um, come together as a community and say, no, this is not what we are willing to do. And most, most people just want to just do their thing and go home and, and everybody's saying, well, I have 10 more years until retirement. I have 15 more years. Why do I want to get involved in all this? I don't want to do this. And anytime we want to, to make a change, we have to be willing to give up something. And in the community of physicians, maybe that, that we, uh, you know, the critical mass of physicians is not willing to give up the comfort of retirement or the comfort of knowing they have a job, this job security or something by, by coming together as a community and saying, this is not how we want to practice medicine. And so, because we are not willing to do that, we, you know, become the, um, we become the players for people that have the power because we don't want that power in terms of what it might cost us. And so that, that is how it is in life, right? If you want something, you have to be willing to give up something. And here we, just maybe not be, we are not willing to give up 
what it may mean in terms of job security to fight this greater issue, which, you know, when you look at the Gita and the Mahabharat war, ultimately that's what it is, dharma and adharma. You must fight whatever that is going to cost you, but then are we willing to do that? That's the point. Yeah, and, you know, sadly, the answer to that is no. I mean, it's it's nowhere else we wouldn't be here, right? Um, yes. Um, but no, I, I think that's um, a great note to to end the end the show um, on, and for people to take this back home and, and ponder on on dharma, uh, you know, and which you know, obviously, you and I know, <laughs> but I'm, <laughs> I'm hoping that uh, people can uh, look up um, what that means and. And I'm gonna put a shameless plug on one of the one of the manuscripts we both wrote together in the European Heart Journal uh, at the onset of the pandemic, which unfortunately still continues. Um, and it's it's called COVID-19 and and healthcare workers. And if anyone who's interested can Google that and Google either my name or or Kavita's name, you'll find that. Um, and we've briefly mentioned um, the meaning of the word dharma uh, in and context try to contextualize it in um in 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 modern medicine um uh, you know ideologies and, and terminologies so um but you know kavita thanks again for for teaching me you know each time i i have this uh privilege of having you on the show and, and talking to you for that long i always learn something new and so it's it's always great to to have you and and to learn from you thank you so much for having me here and for for um doing this on topics that are difficult and these are not you know regular topics in fact it's easier for most of us to talk about really like cardiology or problems in cardiology but these things are very difficult to even bring attention to and to talk about them in a way that makes sense. And um, I'm always amazed at your ability to do that. So thank you so much. Oh, no, my, my pleasure. And, you know, I'm only um, learning and, um, and listening to you and obviously reading what you've written. I'm only trying to, um, you know, explore this space because I'm, I'm curious myself and, and in that, uh, you know, if I can share what I've learned with the, the wider audience and, and, and the wider, um, you know, planet or universe, then, you know, it's obviously, I'm just being a medium and, and it's my absolute honor and privilege to do that. But no, thank you again. And, uh, and to anyone who's listening, you know, feel free to uh, send us uh, feedback and, and remarks and do rate us and review us on on various podcast platforms including apple soundcloud and spotify and i'll see you um in a couple mondays with uh, the platinum episode it's 75 episodes i don't believe it's going to be the 75th episode the next time i have another guest but thanks again uh everyone for tuning in take care bye we hope you enjoyed today's podcast produced by Radcliffe Cardiology in association with makeadent.org. We aim to bring you a new angle of all things cardiology every second week. 
Review us on your favourite podcast app or send your comments or questions to podcast at ratcliffe-group.com. To view the series, head to radcliffecardiology.com forward slash podcasts forward slash parallax. Thanks for listening.